Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Talk about player development with Pat Malloy. Uh, Pat, in this topic for this segment is creating adaptable players through awareness habits and dictation, dictation of based skill set. So I like the fact of adaptable players through awareness habits, like situational awareness. So talk a little bit about how you help create more adaptable players with understanding that that's really a mental acuity that you have to end up then translating into a practical on ice performance. Yeah. I mean, video is a huge tool, but I I find a lot of times video is used in such a disciplinary way. Is that a a way to put it in that, you know, as a coach, if I sit down in a video session and say, you were here, you should have been here. You should have done this. You should have done that. There's really no guided discovery for a player. I'll start in situations, especially revolving around how do I create adaptability in a player by asking questions. What did you see? What did you feel? Where was the pressure coming from, in your opinion, in this situation? And from an adaptability standpoint, how much of their decision making was, well, I, you know, I was doing this because I, you know, I needed to get the puck here because I knew that if I turned it over that I wouldn't see the ice again. Or, you know, it was better for me just to shoot the puck than it was anything else because then I'm credited for a shot on net and, you know, I stay out of the doghouse, if you will. From an adaptability standpoint, for me, it really starts with understanding the journey the player's going through, number one. And then number two, having them, you know, when you talk about the practical sense of things, you know, I, I'm a huge believer of having skill to solve problems in on-ice settings. But that doesn't come from me or from anyone um, giving them the answers. It's, all right, so if the problem is I need to possess this puck, Um, and I need to extend possession long enough to make a higher percentage first play, second play, corresponding play, Um, what what problems do I have to solve? Well, the problems might be, well, there's a threat to my possession, there's a defenseman bearing down on me, rolling me up the wall, or, you know, various levels of, of, you know, coverage coming my way. What's the, the play here? So really creating environments that are unpredictable for players and having them recognize, all right, you know, from a higher percentage standpoint, did I expose pucks? Did I move on touch? Did I create changes of angle? Did I lure people to the places that I can now recognize? Here's a cue. I've got someone reaching that has chased me up the wall. That's a cue for me to move into the next set of things that I know can extend this. And I can now understand the ability that I've created a reaching defender. Now I'm going to dictate the terms because their body weight is off. They've played their card. Now I'm in a situation where I can cut, roll, or make the appropriate play. So for me, you know, the adaptability component really comes down to, A, I've got a a toolbox full of technical skills. How do I relate those to tactical settings? And what are my cues to be able to dictate the the situation as it sits? In order to optimize the adaptive ability on the ice, I I, kind of split processing between adaptive and preset processing. One conversation we had, Pat, we were discussing how you prefer not seeing preset handling on the ice. And does it come back down to what we're discussing now is the reason why is because if a player is looking to do a preset moveset, they've basically limited their options and, and then 
put themselves in positions where they're going to get trapped and that they can't get out. So is that why you focus so much on adaptive handling and making sure that they have a more fluid and dynamic uh, handling skill set? 100%. I mean, one of the things that, that you find specifically with younger players, if they can skate, they really want to just skate. If they've got incredible hands, they really want to air to let's just use hands. Those things in unit, you know, are isolated skills. They don't necessarily transfer to the next level in terms of effectiveness. What might have worked in junior is probably not going to work at the pro level. So recognizing if I have a strong base of hand skills, for instance, rather than that be the, the thing that I lead with, how can I blend skating the game appropriately to create a scenario where I can allow the strength of my hands to become effective versus just an isolated skill that got me to this point, you know, how can I evolve that in terms of, can I adapt the way that maybe I use that skill um, based on, on the situations? What can I do to create the cue that I know works well for me in terms of leveraging my strength as hands um, without it becoming a, a, you know, a detriment to the play because I err to the only strength that I feel that makes me confident or comfortable and that I possess. And so, you know, adaptability comes from a recognizing pattern awareness. I mean, we, we've talked about this in past segments where um, we know the game and we know how it's coached. And, and you know, in, for instance, offensive zone settings, we recognize what the defending team is trying to do. And we recognize how that impairs our ability to do freely what we want to do. So using that information and becoming adaptable at, can I create situations with my movement, with my preemptive movement versus reactive movements uh, to create a setting that allows me to succeed versus being completely reactive throughout a shift, but all the while knowing I have an adaptability that if it plays this way, I have this skill set to be able to counter and vice versa. Pat, I mean, when you talk about that, the, the player that comes to mind is Mark Stone about because I think he has really strong like adaptive adaptive awareness and his habits are very much adaptable because he's not the fastest skater he's an effective skater but he has really he has really good hands and I think he's an example for younger players that are listening that that's how you sort of put that together and you know I thought it was really interesting about solving the right problem like what would have to be true for this problem to not exist in the first place? And I think that's, you know, part of the process of what you're trying to get through to the players. I show clips and video of, of Mark Stone to so many aspiring young pros because he's a great example of not letting the things that you can't do get in the way of, of the things you can do. And, you know, I look at a player like that, if, if, if he were to think of and just buy into all the things he couldn't do, where would he be today? And, and he's, he'd be he's a great league. example. Yeah. I mean, he's such a great example of adaptability in that his situational awareness, which I find such an interesting topic because the situations players find themselves in are constant. You know, they have different colored jerseys as an opponent, but really the, the things and the situations players find themselves in are game by game, shift by shift every night. And so, you know, recognizing that not being oblivious to how do I manipulate these situations um, is, is a key for me and, and not letting the game play you instead understanding the ways that you can play the game. What about uh, contextual decision-making then? Let's, let's flip the coin here and say 
Victor Hedman's at the line. He knows he's getting defended by Mark Stone. Out of nowhere, he knows that he has an opportunity to pinch more aggressively because if he does get caught, he knows he can recover because it's Mark Stone who's going up the ice uh, down the wing. 100%. And you know what I, I would say to a Victor Hedman in that case is you're going to want to make sure you establish body position on Mark Stone's stick because what we know is, is he's got an elite level stick. He might have the best stick in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yes, create a foot race out of it by being preemptive in terms of that, that movement, but, you know, be aware that this guy's got a stick that can make up for what he may lack in first step quickness. Um, so, you know, that idea of establishing body position, cutting Mark Stone's hand off prior to him having that become a tool to strip you of possession, um, are great examples, you know, great real time, real world examples for sure. And, and it, in your I guess in your work is adaptability. That's that situational awareness. One of the top things you're trying to help your players recognize is let's solve this problem because it will solve a lot of the problems that you will encounter in the future, regardless of what skill sets you have. For sure. And it's, it's about creating environments where the athletes got to solve the problem. So we can take a scenario that occurs night by night, game by game, shift by shift, and we can dissect, you know, the, the logistic part of it. Of We know the defender's A outcome is this. We know that our A outcome is this in terms of being a possessing player. Then it becomes, how do I get ahead of this mentally? How do I get ahead of, what if this person plays me perfectly? What is it that I can do to create advantage for myself? And being adaptable to this person's a big, strong defender, they're going to get in and get heavy on me. There's one set of, you know, options there. What do I do if this person's an elite level skater, keeps air off my hips and just steers me to the lowest percentage area possible. So the ability to adapt to both of those situations becomes crucial because those two situations aren't played the same. And so maybe it becomes distribution and move to a space that allows me to, to acquire the puck in a better spot to create movement in the defense, to change the shape of a defense. Um, You know, maybe it becomes the situation is, you know, I've got to be a little bit more proactive with my contact. I've got to right. you know, initiate contact and those sorts yeah. of things. So it's about guiding them to the solution, not creating a situation where, you know, one plus two equals three. Right, right, exactly. Well, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show. Once again, we uh, love the insight on player development and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Great, guys. Thanks so much. That's Pat Malloy, uh, player development and skills coach, skating coach. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back right after these short messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Pat Malloy for our player development segment, who's a player development and skills coach, skating coach. He's worked for uh, multiple NHL teams. Pat, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, the topic this week is lessons learned from working with some of the best players in the world. Fascinating topic. So first off, let's discuss, you know, there's always seminal moments in everyone's career and there's those aha moments where you're like, oh, and it sort of changes the trajectory of your strategy and some of your tactics. And how often does that happen when you get to work with an NHL player you know, such as say Claude Giroux or, you know, Mason McTavish or Brant Clark in when you're working with them and, and doing, you know, helping them be the best that they can be based on their skill sets and who they are as individuals. But how fun is that to have those type of those great lessons? It's extremely fun. I mean, you know, working with, with a national hockey league player, you know, their top 1% their industry and then you go to, you know, having the opportunity to work with star players, Norris Trophy winners like an Eric Carlson or, or a, a Claude Drew, you know, a 100-point player and, and, a, and an NHL captain and, and players of this ilk. Um, what you really start to see is, is it's such a give and take. You learn as much from them as, as they really do from you. And you recognize some of the ways that they're wired differently. But I think maybe the, the most misunderstood thing about star caliber players whether it's a forward or a defenseman but it's you know those top one percent of the top one percent type players is really one of the things that makes them so special and for me it starts with just their elite fundamentals Um, that's the first thing that really jumped off the map for me was recognizing that you know the, the secret tonic really was was comprised of of their fundamental skill set is just elite they do things that ordinary players do well they do them exceptional and and that really is such a difference in that it's not one magical move or one magical way about going things they have such a a strong foundation of elite fundamentals in their skill set in their puck skills in their movement Um, and and that doesn't necessarily mean they're an elite level skater it might just mean that they're elite at skating the game. You know, I think of a player like Tyler Toffoli that, you know, certainly over the years working on, on fundamental skating was one thing. But one of the things that a player like Tyler Toffoli was masterful at is just making sure he gets to the spots that he needs to get to and skating the game. And so he's a player that kind of jumps up in that mindset. And one of the more recent fellows in a, in a player like Mackenzie Weger in Calgary, um, 
you know, a, a lot of work over the years, but at the end of the day, just skates the game so well. And, and of course, now you see him rewarded with a, with a multi-year extension. And the one thing that all of these sorts of players share in common is just elite fundamentals in terms of hand skills, passing skills, uh, shooting skills, being able to take pucks from bad areas and turn them into good pucks off of dasher boards and into a clean pass to someone in possession. Those things really jumped off the map for me as, as areas that um, really set those players apart. Pat, you mentioned that, that star players are wired differently for you in your time with them. Uh, can you expand on that and just talk about maybe the, the correlation between mental attributes that you've witnessed over the years that, that separate them? Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, one of the things, you know, when you're talking about the highest end players, really their mental processing is, is ultimately what sets them apart. I mean, we can go to the American League and find all kinds of players that can skate, pass, and shoot at the level. But really, for me, the, the, the thing that's special about high, high end players is, is their mental processing, their ability to take in information and make appropriate decisions based on threat, based on time and space. Um, you know, plays between checks and these sorts of things. It's just, you know, so much more ahead of an average player that might have elite skills uh, in terms of I can shoot a puck with time and space. What makes the one special is really their ability to do it when people are trying to stop them. And so, you know, for me, that's such a, a, a big proponent of what makes them different. The other things that I, I've, I've often seen is, you know, they're really detail-driven. Um you know, when you're talking to a player like an Eric Carlson or you're talking to a player like a Claude Giroux, you know, they're looking for an edge and little things in those players' games can make such a difference. If it's just creating a little angle change, if it's creating a smaller pocket, just an ounce of time here or there, and, and really they identify with the idea of second save or seconds earned with their movement. And all it takes for a player that processes at that level is just that split second. And so, you know, really the idea of them being a student of the game, um, you know, they, they thirst for knowledge and what little things can they impact because it's never a major thing with a with a high, high-end player. It's, it's always typically little things that can create really big differences for them, whether that's creating a little second of time here or creating, a, you know, a more favorable angle for a shot opportunity. Um, or how do I extend a possession and create a little bit more time to allow my sense to take over? And so one of the big challenges when you're working with those players is it's not necessarily that you're, you're changing technical skill because that's obviously very difficult to do as players age, but it's identifying where can we make little tactical adjustments that will allow your skill, your elite fundamental skills, to take over because we've created a little bit more time or we've created a little, you know, more of a favorable opportunity for you based on these small adjustments. And really they have that thirst for knowledge, which makes it such an intriguing thing to do, you know, by working with them. Pat, can you expand upon a little bit? You had mentioned it in terms of their processing. Uh, how much do you find it um, lessons learned about how quickly those top end players have that ability for resilience of not being too high, not being too low, but when you get too high and you get too low, that they can quickly like equalize back to that baseline so that that's when they're at their optimal like abilities mentally and emotionally. Yeah, I mean, typical of any high performer in any industry and in most specific sports, high achievers are risk takers. So really the, 
processing comes down to, you know, they're wired to want to make a difference in a game. They're wired to want to make a play and change the tide of a game. And so that processing allows them to see those opportunities. And, you know, elite level fundamentals, you know, oftentimes will breed confidence that I'm going to try some things. And, you know, the best ones more times than not, they work. But certainly when there's risk, there's also um, understanding how to mitigate risk and, 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 you know, things like puck management and time and place and those sorts of things. And so one of the things that you, you never want to do is you don't want to dull the edge. We want to make sure that, you know, we create them understanding when the optimal opportunity to, to take risk to create is. But then, you know, that strong processing and understanding of the game allows them to sort of temper and mitigate the risks that they take based on, you know, being able to see plays ahead of time. Um, recognizing um, threat threat assessments around them in terms of possession, um, you know, or, or pucks changing hands. So it, it's really making sure they understand, you know, that if we are able to do these things, it'll allow us to apply risk in a setting where, you know, the cards are stacked in our favor. Um, and it's really for them using that processing and then those appropriate skills to create advantage in that, I'm not going to put myself in a scenario that I know I can't succeed in. And um, that's always the balancing act. And so, you know, so much that comes where we'll, we'll take a look at shift video, for instance, and we'll, we'll, during training, we'll look at different scenarios. And there's a lot of give and take in those situations about what feels right, what's comfortable, you know, where they feel jammed up or where they feel like they're not getting um, to be able to, to apply their skill set or their will on a situation based on the risk. And, and going through that sort of flow with them is such a powerful tool because it allows them to, you know, to visualize, all right, here based on feel is where I know I'd like to be and, and here are some of those deterrents. It's, it's, it's such a, a great flow session between, you know, the athlete and the, and the stresses that they have and then, you know, as a, as a coach or someone that can help impact putting them into higher percentage scenarios, you know, really weighing all those factors out. And that's what I find really fascinating is the, the give and take between and that feedback loop between the coach and the player and the player and the coach where there's synchronicity in, in understanding that. And that's where I think, you know, we had talked rec uh, recently about that feedback loop and how that important that is in that coaching. And I, I guess for you, uh, you know, it's exciting because you get somebody so high level and elite at what they do is that the questions they ask are so specific that it allows you to dig in and, and, ha and find solutions for that specific problem, which could be complicated or even maybe some cases complex. So I, I always find that really interesting. Uh, Pat, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Everybody stay tuned. We're going to continue to talk about player development after these short messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about player development with Pat Malloy. Uh, Pat, in this topic for this segment is creating adaptable players through awareness habits and dictation, dictation of based skill set. So I like the fact of adaptable players through awareness habits like situational awareness so talk a little bit about how you help create more adaptable players with understanding that that's really a mental acuity that you have to end up then translating into a practical on ice performance yeah i mean video is a huge tool but i i find a lot of times video is used in such a disciplinary way is that a way to put it in that you know as a coach if I sit down in a video session and say you were here you should have been here you should have done this you should have done that there's really no guided discovery for a player I'll start in situations especially revolving around how do I create adaptability in a player by asking questions what did you see what did you feel where was the pressure coming from in your opinion in this situation and from an adaptability standpoint, how much of their decision-making was, well, I, you know, I was doing this because I, you know, I needed to get the puck here because I knew that if I turned it over that I wouldn't see the ice again, or, you know, it was better for me just to shoot the puck than it was anything else because then I'm credited for a shot on net and, you know, I stay out of the doghouse, if you will. From an adaptability standpoint, for me, it really starts with understanding the journey the player's going through, number one, and then Number two, having them, you know, when you talk about the practical sense of things, you know, I'm a huge believer of having skill to solve problems in on-ice settings, but that doesn't come from me or from anyone um, giving them the answers. It's all right. So if the problem is I need to possess this puck um, and I need to extend possession long enough to make a higher percentage first play, second play, corresponding play, um, what, what problems do I have to solve? Well, the problems might be, well, there's a threat to my possession. There's a defenseman bearing down on me, rolling me up the wall or, you know, various levels of, of, you know, coverage coming my way. What's the, the play here? So really creating environments that are unpredictable for players and having them recognize, all right, you know, from a higher percentage standpoint, did I expose pucks? Did I move on touch? Did I create changes of angle? Did I lure people to the places that I can now recognize? Here's a cue. I've got someone reaching. 
that has chased me up the wall. That's a cue for me to move into the next set of things that I know can extend this. And I can now understand the ability that I've created a reaching defender. Now I'm going to dictate the terms because their body weight is off. They've played their card. Now I'm in a situation where I can cut, roll, or make the appropriate play. So for me, you know, the adaptability component really comes down to, A, I've got a, a toolbox full of technical skills. How do I relate those to tactical settings? And what are my cues to be able to dictate the, the situation as it sits? In order to optimize the adaptive ability on the ice, I, I, I kind of split processing between adaptive and preset processing. One conversation we had, Pat, we were discussing how you prefer not seeing preset handling on the ice. And it, does it come back down to what we're discussing now is the reason why is because if a player is looking to do a preset move set, they've basically limited their options and, and then put themselves in positions where they're going to get trapped and that they can't get out. So is that why you focus so much on adaptive handling and making sure that they have a more fluid and dynamic uh, handling skill set? hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that, that you find specifically with younger players if they can skate, they really want to just skate. If they've got incredible hands, they really want to air to let's just use hands. Those things in unit, you know, are isolated skills. They don't necessarily transfer to the next level in terms of effectiveness. What might have worked in junior is probably not going to work at the pro level. So recognizing if I have a strong base of hand skills, for instance, rather than that be the, the thing that I lead with, how can I blend skating the game appropriately to create a scenario where I can allow the strength of my hands to become effective versus just an isolated skill that got me to this point. You know, how can I evolve that in terms of, can I adapt the way that maybe I use that skill um, based on, on the situations? What can I do to create the cue that I know works well for me in terms of leveraging my strength as hands um, without it becoming a, a, you know, a detriment to the play because I err to the only strength that I feel that makes me confident or comfortable and that I possess. And so, you know, adaptability comes from a recognizing pattern awareness. I mean, we, we've talked about this in past segments where um, we know the game and we know how it's coached. And, and, you know, in, for instance, offensive zone settings, we recognize what the defending team is trying to do. And we recognize how that impairs our ability to do freely what we want to do. So using that information and becoming adaptable at, can I create situations with my movement, with my preemptive movement versus reactive movements uh, to create a setting that allows me to succeed versus being completely reactive throughout a shift. But all the while knowing I have an adaptability that if it plays this way, I have this skill set to be able to counter and vice versa. Pat, I mean, when you talk about that, the, the player that comes to mind is Mark Stone about because I think he has really strong like adaptive adaptive awareness and his habits are very much adaptable because he's not the fastest skater. He's an effective skater, but he has really he has really good hands. And I think he's an example for younger players that are listening that that's how you sort of put that together. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting about solving the right problem, like what would have to be true for this problem to not exist in the first place? And I think that's, you know, part of the process of what you're trying to get through to the players. I show clips and video of, of Mark Stone to so many aspiring 
young pros because he's a great example of not letting the things that you can't do get in the way of, of the things you can do. And, you know, I look at a player like that, if, if, if he were to think of and just buy into all the things he couldn't do, where would he be today? And, and he's, be he's a great League. example. Yeah. I mean, he's such a great example of adaptability in that his situational awareness, which I find such an interesting topic because the situations players find themselves in are constant. You know, they have different colored jerseys as an opponent, but really the, the things and the situations players find themselves in are game by game, shift by shift every night. And so, you know, recognizing that not being oblivious to how do I manipulate these situations um, is, is a key for me and, and not letting the game play you instead understanding the ways that you can play the game. What about uh, contextual decision-making then let's, let's flip the coin here and say Victor Hedman's at the line. He knows he's getting defended by Mark Stone out of nowhere. He knows that he has an opportunity to pinch more aggressively because if he does get caught, he knows he can recover because it's Mark Stone who's going up the ice uh, down the wing. 100%. And you know what I, I would say to a Victor Hedman in that case is you're going to want to make sure you establish body position on Mark Stone's stick. Because what we know is, is he's got an elite level stick. He might have the best stick in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yes, create a foot race out of it by being preemptive in terms of that, that movement. But, you know, be aware that this guy's got a stick that can make up for what he may lack in first step quickness. Um, so, you know, that idea of establishing body position, cutting Mark Stone's hand off prior to him having that become a tool to strip you of possession. Um, great examples, you know, great real time, real world examples for sure. And, and it, in your, I guess in your work is adaptability. That's that situational awareness. One of the top things you're trying to help your players recognize is let's solve this problem because it will solve a lot of the problems that you will encounter in the future, regardless of what skill sets you have. For sure. And it's, it's about creating environments where the athletes got to solve the problem. So we can take a scenario that occurs night by night, game by game, shift by shift, and we can dissect, you know, the, the logistic part of it of, we know the defenders a outcome is this. We know that our a outcome is this in terms of being a possessing player. Then it becomes, how do I get, ahead of this mentally how do I get ahead of what if this person plays me perfectly what is it that I can do to create advantage for myself and being adaptable to this person's a big strong defender they're going to get in and get heavy on me there's one set of you know options there what do I do if this person's an elite level skater keeps air off my hips and just steers me to the lowest percentage area possible so the ability to adapt to both of those situations becomes crucial because those two situations aren't played the same. And so maybe it becomes distribution and move to a space that allows me to, to acquire the puck in a better spot to create movement in the defense, to change the shape of a defense. Um, You know, maybe it becomes the situation is, you know, I've got to be a little bit more proactive with my contact. I've got to initiate contact and those sorts of things. So it's about guiding them to the solution, not creating a situation where, you know, one plus two equals three. Right, right, exactly. Well, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show once again. We uh, love the insight on player development, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Great, guys. Thanks so much. 
That's Pat Malloy, uh, player development and skills coach, skating coach. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back right after these short messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing our player development segment with Pat Malloy. Uh, the topic in this segment is departmental integration in player development. Now, this could end up being a two-hour chat we're going to try to keep this down to about 10 minutes um, just for, <laughs> for this. Uh, Cause I know we could all three of us can get into it. And just uh, your thoughts from a player development viewpoint, when you're looking at a hockey operations department and integrating with the other departments, whether it's, you know, you know, human performance, which is, you know, really player development as well, but then there's some analytics departments in there and there's the amateur staff, the pro staff, like your trainers, like we could go on and on and, from, but from your perspective of player development, how does that integrate to a level that you deem would be provide not only a competitive edge, but provide the ability to be, for everyone in that department and the other departments to be elastic thinkers and to be able to be highly efficient without being restrictive in terms of following strict models? Yeah, I mean, I, I think our sport has so much to grow um, with this topic. I mean, you know, it, in my experience, you know, through a couple of National Hockey League teams now, it's, it's you know, every team's got strength and conditioning. You know, every team's it's got a player development department. Every team's got some level of analytics, um, whether they call it that or not. Um, you know, every team's obviously got a pro and an amateur scouting staff. You know, to, to me, uh, I really believe that integration of department and and ultimately with, you know, in my lane in terms of player development, I, I look at the abilities that, that maybe are to come 
in that building a profile with input from each of the departments to create a model where, you know, you're able to expedite the process to create the the best player athlete uh, to a degree, you know, human within your organization. And, and that can come from a number of different sources, but I, I can speak to the, to the point that from a player development standpoint, you know, how much time I would spend in consultation with, for instance, the strength and conditioning staff and further to that, uh, you know, the high performance department, if you will, which a lot of teams now are, are starting to have. And within those are data scientists and nutritionists. Um, you know, to, to me, uh, I look at even, even a little bit deeper and looking at, you know, a department that includes people with, with, you know, behavioral science background, where we recognize what's the makeup of our players, um, figuring out how our players learn, you know, it's not how I teach, it's how a player learns. And so um, the ability to take all of these departments, but find a way to streamline it so that you don't get caught in the mud and it becomes a, a fluid and streamlined approach to developing athlete, player and human, um, I think is the next cusp of, of figuring out how do we make people better within an organization. And I know Shane, you've talked about this before that, you know, the national hockey league really is a group of fortune 500 companies. Um, I, I think when we look at that and you look at some of the best companies in the world, um, the, the resources properly done and properly, you know, funded and, and with a plan in place to implement, I think the sky is the limit in terms of the ability to, take that integration approach and create better players in the sport. Integration is the key and that's the challenge. It is the hardest thing to do. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I chose the PhD program I'm in. It's I'm doing interdisciplinary studies, which is you're integrating multiple disciplines together to solve a complex problem. And it's a no different than, Fortune 500 companies, research and development departments, they ha- implement the same strategies. And spending the resources to hire the people that are experts in their field, not only at an academic level, but at a practical experience level, and recognizing that what is the ROI of the return of hiring people like that, instead of turning around and hiring like an undergrad student who just graduated to work in your analytics department who doesn't have the graduate level experience in terms of re- of research and doesn't have the practical experience to recognize when mistakes have been made and to reevaluate models and how do they integrate that into the other departments? That's the challenge I see Pat and Brad and Brad, you can speak to that from like from a, a scouting perspective and ha- what you're doing with your scouting school and how that's being built and that level of integration as well. Yeah, from from the, the scouting school perspective, I'm trying to create a what we're discussing here in terms of merging and networking communications at a higher level between departments. There's there's some of that within what I'm trying to do when it comes to giving when when I discuss with executives or scouts or or player development coaches, a lot of them tell me that it's mostly based off of communication through just sitting in a rink together. I'm trying to create a visual communication structure so that if you watch a player visually. You can break them down in real time together, or you can have somebody who's scouting do it as well, and then you can go back and forth with that person. I feel it creates a better mode of communication. And then to with Pat's situation, I think, Pat, I'd love for you to speak about this. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of gray when it comes to if a prospect fails. 
uh, some will blame the scouting staff, others will blame development, which is it? Uh, my question for Pat, which relates to this is, do you feel that there's a correlation uh, with failed prospects when it comes to uh, scouts not communicating with development coaches, what they actually saw in that player as you get them and acquire them? You know, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, kind of the way I en envision it is that I, I, you know, as a person in a development department would always, I love to know, you know, when you draft a prospect, what the, the organizational view of what the trajectory of that player is, because that helps us understand what drew our organization to that player and, and well, the different frame things it. that, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it, it's great to say, well, we have player X. I, I want to know from an organizational standard, what was it that we saw or what is it that we envision this player to be? And then when we see them perform and you get them into the organization and you start to be able to decipher what they are as a player, as a person, um, as an athlete, you know, and you start to create that individualized plan, it allows you a little bit more um, granularity in terms of, well, skating is an area of improvement. Okay, but what skating? I mean, I've found myself in the situation where I'll watch a skating coach working on things with a player and, you know, I'll find myself going to the strength and conditioning staff and saying, can I get a makeup on? And all of a sudden you find that, wait a second, there's strength and equities left to right. There's impingements on that hip versus that hip. But we've got a skating coach kind of running blind, um, you know, trying to make changes to a player that physically isn't in a position to make those changes. And so that takes a conversation and some sharing of data. And all of a sudden the time that you spend is now going to be more efficient because you're working on the right things at the right stage of development. And you're ensuring that you're not addressing a problem that's compounded by other issues. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see the concepts of, you know, from a, um, a mental performance side of things. Well, why is this player highly touted? Why has this player been a high performer? Why is this player sort of struggling to reach at this point? Well, maybe we find out that they don't have great stress mitigation skills. And so I'm drilling them and I'm giving them the, you know, let's try this or let's try that. Or we have a, you know, a player development coach that's, you know, when I played, it worked like this and try this when really what it is, is there's not enough stress mitigation strategies in place for that particular player because they don't do well in those scenarios, but that's something that can be worked through. But if we don't know, and we don't share those things, oftentimes, um, you know, the treatment doesn't necessarily um, work on the ailment unless we've got the proper diagnosis and the proper chain of events that have gone into creating the best environment um, for a, for a prospect to bloom. Well, that moves along to some of the things we've discussed in the past is like, solve the right problem in that respect. And you, you may not know what the right problem is if you don't have the right answers. And I think a, some of the research that I've been working on really pushes towards, I think sometimes we have an, a misunderstanding of what attributes and skills are and understanding the attributes of the player in terms of what's between his ears in terms of, as you mentioned, you know, Pat and Brad on occasions, like, like mental acuity and what's their like drive attributes and grit attributes and where your strengths and weaknesses lie within that and how, what's your learnability. Maybe you're a player who doesn't handle task switching very well. I mean, these are all things that if tested properly 
and then continually like reassess on a player. Cause if you're going to spend that amount of money on a player, damn, you should like make sure, you know, the mental side of that player, then that allows you to help them get better. It, it just, you can't keep throwing them on the ice and hope it's going to work. Right. Cause it just doesn't work that it just, you're setting yourself up for failure too many times. And that's the question that Brad said, like if a player fails, how do we know? Like where, what was the problem from that respect? So Pat, once again, great segments. Uh, really appreciate your insight and look forward to speaking with you next week. Thanks very much for having me, guys. That's Pat Malloy, player development. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll return right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Once again, we have Pat Malloy in the studio for the player development segment. Our topic this week is actually Mackenzie Weger, one of his clients and building an NHL player. And Pat, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So Mackenzie Weger is an interesting case study. Obviously, he starts off in junior A and then jumps over into the queue and plays for Halifax. One of the fascinating things is, and I don't know why it's a trend with a lot of your clients, is the the, the knock on him is can't skate. Now, I can't stand that term. I think it's ridiculous. Like, if you're playing at that level, you can skate. But it's what how effective you are as a skater and can you build build a player into something that is more efficient in that respect. He was a player that he was very good in junior A and was a rock star in the queue for the two years he was in. And then he made the jump directly into pro talk about that process when you first met McKenzie and then helping him develop into once he hit the pro ranks, because that's when the talent pool compresses and it's sink or swim at that point. Yeah. I, I mean, I met, I met weeks, uh, you know, back in minor hockey and you know, the thing that really jumped out, obviously, processor was was the big thing for him could really think the game but for sure I mean you know 
the, the first sort of thing that we started to attack was just mobility. That was, that was his thing. You know, I, I, I heard him talk about it, just sort of first step quickness and just those initial steps. And those were some of the, his first concerns. Yeah. You know, late blooming kid, you know, got, to junior a you know played a year junior b that's not really talked about played junior b at 16 then to junior a you know then to the q and and here we are and yeah you know i I mean i think a big part of it is is recognizing your strengths and and leveraging those strengths against areas of development so he's another guy that if we listened to everyone that said he couldn't skate you know he's a 50 million dollar defenseman right now so you know we didn't let the things he could do get in the way of what he couldn't and, and I think the big thing is, is we can always chip away and develop skating. And I think we see that, you know, he's, he's become really good at picking up little seconds of time. I know there's some of my coin terms, just in terms of time saved and time earned. He's really good at figuring out body position um, and not creating races that he doesn't need to for himself. And, you know, when you add a processor like that and recognize, you know, how to skate the game, um, you know, obviously it's, it's turned out pretty well for him. So. Man, I'm surprised he even told me that the skating wasn't uh, wasn't up to par. To be honest, I never saw him as a prospect, so I've seen more of the finished package. And the last thing I would think was that uh, he had skating concerns based off where he is now. So that's a testament to uh, to your development with him and his development. Uh, one thing that I really appreciate about Uyghur is that second he has the puck on his stick, he talks about he, he does exactly what you talk about all the time, which is initiate with with deception. He's an incredibly deceptive thinker. Uh, was that always built into him, or did you develop that over time with him? I mean, his processing allows him to really adopt deceptive con- uh, concepts really quickly. Um, but it is something that we certainly, you know, will try to drill every chance we get the opportunity in terms of you know now it's sort of morphed into you know game situational things where so you know going back and getting a puck and making a net positive first play you know possession exit for instance um you know the time that he saves to do that and so recognizing ways to be deceptive to open up just that one extra second that half a second when you're a player with with you know high-end processing it doesn't take three seconds. It might just take a half second to allow you to make a net positive first play. And, and so that's a lot of what we'll deal with is, is not, you know, how do I skate 200 feet all over the place, you know, 10 and twoing edging going all over the place. And, and that's not it that, you know, and I think what people appreciate about his game is when he's on it, really, he makes the game look easy. Um, he makes the game look really simple and that's a sign that our skating is on point because we're not put into situations where we're um, costing ourselves time or creating situations where we've got to play catch up in the game. And he's become a master at that um, in, in terms of, you know, kind of being that much ahead of it, if that makes sense. He's one of the only players out there that where the analytics crowd and the old school crowd completely agree on him as a player. They look at it from different perspectives but it really, I think everybody appreciates his efficiency. And the fact, what I like about him is he looks at the options available and takes the most consistent high probability option every time because yeah. it's about moving the puck up the ice in a way yeah. where once that puck goes to that player, that player has options too. Not just saying, oh, I'm going to make this high risk pass to this player and then whatever happens after that, that's on him. That's not how he plays the game and processes the game, right. which is, I think, why it makes him a highly effective defenseman. Did you see that 
even when he was in junior B and junior A in that he, he understood which option was the best to push the puck up the ice. Obviously, you know, his, his, his processing's matured, but you could definitely see that he, you know, he had a very logical approach to not making the game more difficult than it needed to be, you know, letting the puck do some of the work. And um, I, I think that's what you appreciate, you know, from an analytics perspective, he, he doesn't make um, decisions where the fallout is negative, if that makes sense. Um, there's a cleanliness to the way he moves the puck to logical options that are a higher percentage choice. And then the old school crowd will love him because I think what you've started to see is, is he's got a grit and, and a determination and a competitiveness to his play that, you know, you'll see him read space, step up on someone and close space. And it turns into physical contact simply because he made an intelligent read and got to a spot that took away all of someone's time and space. And there's that fallout contact from it. So you've got the old school crowd that love that. Um, and that he's willing to be physical and you know I kind of draw it back that yeah he's he's competitive and willing to be physical but his processor recognized I'm going to shut this play down up the ice before it you know builds momentum and causes me grief in my own end of the ice so um, you know the, the one thing with him is is you know we recognize early there's areas that we need to to clean up coming out of pivots or going back on pucks or things like that um, creating just enough room on an offensive blue line perspective to make a play where we don't all have to skate, um, you know, a hundred miles an hour around the rink all over the place. And, and, you know, everybody's different. And that goes to, you know, what we've talked about before is, is can we do the best with his physical makeup with, with his natural abilities? Um, he doesn't have to look like anyone else to be super effective. Yeah, I mean, when you look I... at his process and speed, do you feel that, one thing that it, it grants him that's not very common is the fact that he can actually be a multi-tier defenseman in the sense that he's an insulator, he's a puck mover, he's an offensive defenseman, he's a shutdown, he's any defenseman. That's pretty rare. Like I find he's one of those very rare unicorns in the game where he can legitimately be anything you need him to be. And it was funny you say that because, you know, I think back to his, his, um, his path, you know, there was a time coming into pro where, you know, he was yet to be established. I don't think people really understood what he was. I, I can remember his name floating around in terms of availability, you know, from one club to the next. And, uh, you know, you, you hear from the pro scouting crowd and, and that kind of stuff that his name was out there. And I always thought to myself, what an, what an interesting comment, because you could see he was a little bit ahead of his time in terms of what defensemen have morphed into and, and how they're valued. Um, and now, of course, I mean, you know, so proud of him that he was able to sort of secure his future and lock up that big ticket. Um, and he's earned it. He's come the hard way. It wasn't like he was this highly touted guy, first round pick. Like he's really convinced people what it is he is based on doing it. And, you know, the proof's been in the pudding for him and that, you know, he, he's come a long way from a guy that might have been available to, you know, here's a guy locked up on an eight year deal. And, um you know, full credit to him because at, at times it was, he didn't fit the conventional mold of, of what hockey was going back, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And here we are today. And, you know, he, he's proved that, you know, he can play any way you want to play. You want to play a rugged cycle-based game. He's there. You want to push tempo and, and move pucks up the ice and play a transitional game. He's there. And um, I think, you know, I, I'm so proud of him because he's that sort of hybrid model that, 
you know, whatever way you want to play the game, we can be successful and we can do that. And, you know, that's, that's marks and credit to him for, for working at his game and, and, you know, obviously blessed with, with the processing that he has, but um, you just appreciate all the little nuances of his game. And, and we don't spend a lot of time focused on the things he can't do because um, I think what he's proving he can do is, is a lot. Yeah, and that's what makes it, I think, him really interesting is we talk about this from a forward perspective. We like the guys who are versatile. We like the guys who are the Swiss Army Knives. If you're not going to be a superstar, that's really what we're interested in because that has full value across your roster. And then we don't really talk about that in terms of defensemen in that respect. And that's where McKenzie yeah. sort of, he fits that mold as a defenseman. And that's where I think his appreciation from any side of hockey, that's where it, that comes in. That's where I think everybody loves him for that. And we're starting to recognize that that's the modern day uh, defenseman. If you can get a guy like that. Well, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show again. We really appreciate it and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio. And we'll be back right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back in power by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now speaking with Pat Malloy in our player development segment in building an NHL player. So we were going to talk about this week about William Carrier currently plays for the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, he was uh, came out of the queue, drafted by St. Louis, actually, then went to Buffalo. And that's where you really connected with him in, um, when he was in Rochester and went to the American Hockey League. So thoughts on, you know, the development and the work you did with William Carrier in terms of seeing what he had done in the queue, what you saw at Rochester and then working with him to say, you know, trying to figure out what's your identity. 
Are you doing it? What we, what do we need to do to get you to the NHL? Because I think he's a really perfect story for you know our listeners who don't work for NHL teams about how that journey happens, and then sometimes even altering what what you did before to get to where you need to be. Yeah, I mean, he's a great example of, of a guy that, you know, was one thing in junior, and I think his trajectory moving up to pro was going to be quite different, obviously. And so the early stages was always, you know, trying to recognize what he needed to be in order to be effective at the National Hockey League level. And, you know, my first encounter with him, obviously him coming over from St. Louis, um, was that he had all of the tools to, to play in the National Hockey League, Um but as most young players, he's trying to sort out how do I create offense? What does, you know, what's the role that I'm going to fill? How am I going to find my way there? And, you know, interestingly, I thought, you know, Buffalo was, was pretty patient with him, maybe almost over patient with him because it, it became clear the way that he could be effective, you know, at the NHL level. And what you're seeing now is he's, he's found his niche and found his role. I mean, a lot of what we did was trying to take some raw physical tools of a strong, you know, athletic kid and, and mold it into something that um, had more layers to it than just sort of a forecheck, backcheck type of player. When you look at him, when you first got him, was there more north-south and you wanted to incorporate a little bit of east-west to go with it? Or was it one of those situations where he was more modernized already and, and – uh used more of a 360 degree plane when it comes to his offensive touch. Cause I find with those types of depth power forwards, there's a fine line between one that sticks in the eight and one that sticks in an important depth role. Do you mind touching on that? What, what the distinction is for you? What really matters there? Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. I mean, there was a lot of linear to his play, if that makes sense. And so, you know, for me, it was, you could see that he, he was great in straight lines and would build up ahead of steam and was a great disruptor in the offensive zone. But, you know, for me, it was starting to see, all right, is there ways that we can sort of slow down that process in his mind, you know, continue to be a disruptor, but, you know, in, in instances where, A, he could obtain puck or become a quick F2 to get to puck, you know, was there more to his game in terms of getting off the wall, protecting pucks, extending possession and making, you know, a quality net play? Um, versus sort of that bang and crash and throw it to spots. And, you know, that hope uh, is a strategy. And I think we know hope is not a strategy. So, you know, it was really um, trying to take a player that was a bit of a bull in a china shop when he first got there and, and iron out some of the process of the rah, rah, go, 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 because, you know, he has some of those physical strength abilities um, to be able to, you know, create body positioning, buy a little bit more time, sustain some offensive zone time um, rather than just disrupt and go, if that makes sense. Question in terms of what were your thoughts on his, how raw he was coming out of the queue. Uh, now each team and organization is a little bit different in the queue, but you know, there is a theme, which I think is fair to say it's not the most structured league that you play in. And you play against teams that also don't play a structured game. And even if you do to some degree, it certainly doesn't help your cause uh, because you can really form some really poor habits that do not translate into the pro game. And it's about deconstructing the player and then building back, 
you know, taking away those habits still at a young age and try to build those habits back up. Was William in that circumstance as well when you saw him for his first year? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's 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 a pretty common theme coming from junior. Um, and, you know, I can't remember the scout that I spoke to, um, but you're talking, you know, a, a point a game player coming out of, of the queue. And, you know, it was an interesting comment and the name will come to me. It was an NHL scout. I'm sure it was a director of pro scouting, maybe in Buffalo at the time and said, you know, with with players, if you're a role player in major junior, it's very difficult to come and be a role player in the National Hockey League. We're going to take someone with a higher ceiling with more talent and turn a scorer from junior into a checker if that's what their trajectory is as a player. And that sort of resonated with me. And so, you know, seeing him come in and, you know, his numbers coming at a major junior, he's a point of game guy. And I think in his first year in Rochester, he was around a 30 point player in the American league, you know, on 13 goals and, and the following season, um, or I guess that was year two, he was sort of 20 points coming in and it was trying to figure out, he brought that raw, aggression that that disruptive behavior in terms of how he created offense and and for me I knew that that was great but I know that when you get to the National Hockey League you can get dissected pretty quickly um, if everything you're doing is based on motor and ambition if that makes sense and so you know really it was trying to take all of those positive attributes of aggressiveness you know, a powerful, strong skater. And you see that now he's very physical, likes to initiate contact. Um, but recognizing, you know, can you be a disruptor, close space and create turnovers? Can you have loose puck acquisition skills that allow you to make a next play rather than just relying on sort of physical uh, aggression and dominance? And, and you saw that sort of rambunctiousness early in the American League. And you don't want to take that away. You'd always rather you know, the old saying goes, you'd rather dial someone down a little bit than have to beg them to get up all the time. And you never had that issue with him. He was always wired to go. And I think it was just trying to create a little bit of method to his madness, if that makes sense. What about in terms of team structure? Was he more of like a individual chaotic player? Or did you find that he was always able to calibrate with his teammates and, and use them successfully? Because the one of my favorite things about most traditional power forwards, as you know, is they draw attention to them. They suck in the defense. They give space through their contact. Was that something he was capable of doing? Yeah, because he'd do such a good job of pushing people back. And there's that sort of that wake or that fallout that comes from that aggressive approach. And um you know, everything that he did was was hard, but not unlike many players coming at a major junior, you know, he'd do something hard to create a loose puck. And one of the things that, that we would work on a lot is how do we extend possession? Because, you know, early on, a player will expose a puck. So you'll get a player at a major junior that'll come in, you know, they'll do a good job of pursuit. They'll get to a loose puck, but then it's on their stick, off their stick, because they expose it or they have sort of junior habits that they get away with you get a 26 year old defenseman that's, that's got, you know, 200 or 300 games of pro in the American league. And it humbles you very quickly because all of that hard works out the window when you made the vital mistake of exposing something that ended all your hard work. So it was really starting to instill some of those pro habits that, that, you know, if, if I've done such a good job to get to a puck, for instance, you know, let's make sure there's something positive that comes out of it. From a shooting perspective, it was just, you know, rather than be a volume shooter, it's, it's, you know, method to our madness. How can we improve the condition of the puck 
you know, improve the condition of a shot attempt. How much is it the helping the player recognize when you're first on the forecheck, especially if you're quick and you're aggressive in there, that your teammates have to catch up to the play? They're not always like there is another layer coming behind you and you have to afford them the time to get there. You can't yeah. just get the puck and turn and look because they're not the plate for them hasn't developed yet. So there is going to be a second, two seconds, maybe three for everything to to come into place. And how long does it take for them to figure that out? Like, hey, look, yes, things happen fast, but sometimes they don't happen as fast as you think they do. 100%. And, you know, he's really found his way as a disruptor. I think when we watch him in the playoffs and you watch how he's found his niche and the importance to, you know, the way he plays for, for Vegas, um, it, it, it's at that rambunctious style really morphs well into a bottom six role at the National Hockey League level simply because, you know, you're, you're allowing – your speed and your rambunctiousness to create fallout. And, and, you know, at the time I can I remember thinking that, you know, we weren't super deep in Buffalo, and, but uh, you know, what I do appreciate about the approach at that point was let's try to expedite, you know, everything we can build in this player um, because I believe he was a first round pick to St. Louis. Second. Second, early, early yeah. second. Yeah. And, and it kind was, you know, let's yeah. try to develop that versus allow him to become just, you know, a blunt object, if that makes sense. And so that was really, they might've been overpatient. I can remember thinking, you know, he can serve a depth role at the NHL level, but I know that, that what we were trying to do was really um, build him to be as much as he could be um, so that maybe that transferable skill set was just a little bit more valuable when he got to the next level. Pat, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, guys. That's Pat Malloy. We're going to take a short break. Brad and I will be back right after this. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. So we're happy to bring in, once again, Pat Malloy in our player development segment. 
about building an NHL player. And, and this week we're going to talk about Cameron Butler and what's intriguing about him. And we talked, we've talked about big power style players in the past about the long-term trajectory of them and how much of they really need a long runway. And, you know, my emphasis of like, why doesn't the CHL have six twenties instead of three, just to emphasize the development and how important it is. And you look at a guy like Cam Butler who went undrafted and now as a 20 year old, it, you know, got signed by the Columbus blue jackets. And I think it's also, it's a Testament and a reminder to players that it's okay that you don't get drafted. Sometimes it like, it's not the end of the world particularly if you're a bigger player such as him, who they need to refine their game and figure out how to play in that big body, especially when you dominated physically your whole life. And now you start to like play up against some players who are just as big as you. Okay. Then how do you adjust to that? Cause you know, the next step is the pro game where everybody's big and strong. Talk a little bit about that process and that journey you've made with Cameron Butler in that respect. Yeah, I mean, we touched on it last week when when talking about you know Nick Paul and, and another big frame, another another big boy. Uh, you know, when when I came to meet Cam, um, you know, he was a player that was certainly highly touted in the Ontario Hockey League. You know, coming out of of the Ottawa area, and 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 obviously, um, when you have someone that's six four, six five, right shot can really skate. Um, what you start to see is, is, you know, they get there and they've got these pre-ingrained habits that, you know, I'm bigger than everyone. Um, you know, I can do things and bully my way around. And then as you've touched on, you get to a level where everyone can skate. They're just as big. Uh, and the ones that aren't as big are just as strong. And, and then how do I, how do I figure this out? How does it all work? And so, you know, when I first did a dive on, on what he was as a player, you know, you everything with me typically becomes word of mouth amongst players and can this player come out and he reached out and sure. And, um, you know, you start to see him in, in person and, and then, you know, I think he recognized and I recognize we can, we can do some things together here. And so you do a deep dive on his game. And one of the first things that I recognize is, is he was just so ingrained about being bigger and stronger um, and straight line hockey that it was really almost to his detriment. And, and so, you know, exposing pucks when you're six foot four, six foot five is almost unforgivable being that you've got a, a physical advantage that you've been blessed with yet. It's not an advantage at all. If you don't create it um, as a, you know, leverage it as a strength. And so a lot of it just became cleaning up things from a player that could rely on, you know, big fella moving quick and straight lines that worked at the minor hockey level heading into junior and, you know, as, as a 16 year old in the O, obviously, you know, you get different limited opportunities compared to when you're a little bit older. And so, you know, it, it really became a thing where let's introduce you to the modern game and the modern um, power forward style of play. And, and that's what we did. You know, I really tried to do a deep dive in, on his games during the season previous to, to learn as much as I could about the way that he moved, the, the way that he used the strengths that he had. Um, the way that he didn't really recognize the strengths that he, he didn't know he had um, and build a development plan to build him into a modern um, power forward as it is today in, in 22, 23. That's really interesting, Pat, that, that you've been working with Cameron Butler because I remember in his draft season from a scouting perspective, the huge knock uh, with the kid was that he was basically a complimentary, a very enigmatic player where 
if you got his best game, he looked like a player. You get his worst couple games, there was nothing there. There was an off switch. There was a lack of battery life within him. From a skills perspective, how do you how do you work on that element of his game, and how do you how do you help develop that consistency that was definitely lacking, and one of the major reasons that he was not drafted and had to sign as a free agent. You know, I I think really it started mentally um, with him in that it was almost as if things didn't go the way that they were supposed to go or the way he thought they should go or the way someone had said, this is success for you. It was almost like he would get confused as to how do I contribute. And so I think it was as much trying to help him recognize what he was as a player, what his trajectory was as a player and not being confused because I think at times, especially in hockey scouting, that, um, that look of on or off or that disinterest in one game or perceived you know, engagement in another game wasn't a lack of engagement at all. It was more that I found you know, recognizing what I am and how can I positively contribute to a game while being what I'm expected to be and then you know, maybe having a better understanding of what I am and what I can be was what is what I really found. I didn't find it was a desire or a compete thing. Um, what I, I found, it was almost like he was confused about what he was as a player. And, you know, when we really dug into that, recognized, number one, you're going to get opportunities afforded to you based on physical gifts. He moves really well for a big player, um, has good puck skills, you know, can shoot a puck, has a decent brain for the game, obviously. And, and so I think it was just recognizing sometimes you've got to set the table to eat yourself, if that makes sense. And so getting him to understand what that actually looked like and what that actually was and how do we set up plays with the puck on your stick, you know, to, to leverage them to your strengths, you know, how do we create scenarios where when we don't have the puck, you know, we can tilt the, the, the play into our favor based on the reads that we make based on the recognition of, you know, if I create this setting in this particular play, you know, I'm now set up to succeed. So, you know, preemptively establishing body position net front, for instance, is just to give you an example, um, you know, or arriving in spots because he's got a pretty good shot. Um, but for a big guy, he's a typical big guy shooter when I first met him, which is I'm just going to power this through. Um, so there wasn't a lot of deception to his movement, if that made sense. It was just, I'm a big guy, I'm moving pretty fast, and I'm going to use momentum here, and I'm going to try to rip one. Well, at junior, you can get away with that a little bit. But as we know, climbing to the National Hockey League, it's going to be a thing where everybody's big, and if they're not, they're strong. You know, attack angles, timing, sticks, all the details of it. And so, you know, for him, it's, it's creating some complementary skills to support the natural gifts that he has, and then really understanding application, you know, skills and application is about it. So, you know, for a player like that to be jumping over stuff or flipping tires or, you know, doing all this kind of stuff that has no bearing on his ability to contribute in a game, you know, it was for him, you know, he was kind of caught up in that and that, you know, at a young age, players are exposed to things that are called skills that aren't really skills at all. And, and so, you know, the journey with him is I discovered here's a really passionate kid that wants to get better. Um, here's a kid with a work ethic through the roof. Here's a kid that's not afraid to ask questions and is inquisitive as to how do I round out different things that are going to help me succeed. And um, the process has is, is just been awesome with, with Cam. I mean, he's, he's a great kid. And, um, you know, I was happy last year that there was certainly some interest, obviously, from the development camp standpoints and stuff. He got a chance to go to Detroit last year and, 
in rookie camp and, and some time in training camp. And I mean, everything that's, that's coming to him has certainly been a byproduct of him just buying into the process of getting better. And um, I'm just so proud of him. Yeah. You just, uh, before we let you go, just, it was an interesting point about him setting the table for himself. And I think sometimes players get told a narrative about this is who you are at a really young age and they believe in it. And that, that issue that they have, and that's something that Brad had, brought up it's it's really about that player actually being self-aware and being confused wait a minute they're telling me this but i know internally i'm this but i don't want to question them because i feel like i have to be almost subservient to the coach or the scout or the gm who is telling me this is what you are when i know that's not who i am and i'm just going to like go along for the ride and then you just get caught as the middleman in that situation until you have, you have somebody or you decide this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Well, what you see with players like that is, is it's just too easy for those guys to get turned into chip, run into something low to high, hard to the net, you know, stand in front, bang and crash, you know, things like moving on first touch, big frame. So now you have an inherent advantage, you know, make contact, move on touch, create some seams and some openings based on a, the, the, the gift that you have in terms of size and strength. Now combine that with some understanding of how to dictate terms of play. Now we're starting to talk about building a more modern power forward. And so it was really just maybe getting away from some of the cliche things that the hockey world can bestow upon a player of that size and stature and recognizing there's more to his skill set than just being a guy to run into stuff um, and, and be belligerent, if you will. Pat, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show again, giving us great insight of Cameron Butler. And we're going to take a short break and we'll be back right after these messages. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're happy to bring on Pat Malloy. This is our regular player development segment. We're talking about 
building NHL players. And in this segment, we're going to talk about one of his clients he's had for the last few years, and Eric Carlson, who's had a resurgent this year, finally, mostly because not that any of his skill set or his hockey sense or any of that dropped off. It was really just because the poor guy just couldn't stay healthy with all of his injuries. And sometimes you re-injure and you all hockey players are hardcore and they always want to come back and they always want to play sometimes to their own detriment. Um, So, you know, yes, they sometimes are their own worst enemy, but finally we're starting to see Eric Carlson back to being Eric Carlson. Uh, Pat, talk about the time that you have spent with, with Eric over the last, you know, four seasons, almost five seasons, uh, obviously with COVID with some interruption in there and talking about, you know, you have an established player, and then them wanting to not only maintain where they are once they get to a certain age, but also wanting to improve upon that. Because like sometimes you look at a player of his stature and go, well, how much better could he possibly get? And there's always room for improvement. Talk about working with a player like that in the development side of the game. Um, a guy especially, obviously, who's so highly competitive, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, you know, a sort of a generational type player. I don't think, you know, prior to him coming into the league, it's been a while since you've seen anything quite like him. So, you know, there, there's certainly, we're not, we're not teaching skills and, and, you know, we're not, we're not teaching that guy how to skate. I mean, he's got world-class skill. Um, his skating is, you know, it was sort of what his calling card was. So really with, with that, type of player what we're trying to do is a put him in situations where he finds himself um, in quite frequently but allow him to have to solve problems with the skill he already possesses and it really becomes an application type thing it's it's not hey you know here's how we're going to shoot the puck from now on Um, it's more situational in in nature it's more here are the types of problems we we find ourselves in in games and and put him into those situations and let him figure it out. And, um, you know, I learn as much from him as, as anything. I mean, he's, he's great to be around. And when you, you talk about these types of players, it's, you know, I've mentioned it before, you know, from the give and take perspective, but just watching him, you know, apply his trade is, is something that, you know, is good because, I got an opportunity to say, all right, what ways can I try to incrementally create plans that help him get just that little bit better? And, um, you know, he's obviously having a hell of a season and it's, it's nice to see. It's a, just before uh, Brad jumps in, is this, is he really in the situation where, and you're with him in that, and you've, you've said the term many times is, you know, you know, a, a second saved is a second earned is that really about what eric's game is is to put him in these situations and go okay what's the most efficient way to make to work this through and how much time can you save to give you extra time to do these extra things that maybe other people can't do 100 percent, and i mean he's a master at, at creating time you know with his hockey sense it obviously is something that's um, he sees the game a step ahead and his skill set is is you know it's it's unbelievable some of the things that he can do at pace so yeah it's it's really putting him in situations where he can start to create time for himself and then watch as he processes that and and executes at the next level I mean this particular summer past 
I sort of saw a different side of him and that it was almost like he made the decision and obviously, you know, health plays a role. Let's, let's not kid ourselves, but it, you know, there was sort of a, a renewed focus from him this summer that I had saw, you know, compared to years past where it was almost like he says, you know what, I, I'm going to come out and I'm going to get back to dominating. And and we're seeing that he's, he's got that mindset to drive plays and dictate outcomes and, um, it's, it's, it's great to see because it's, you know, I think he's almost a trendsetter in the way the modern era is, is, you know, viewed defenseman, if you will, is he does a lot of things now that become, you know, what's scouted and what's looked for in the next generation of player and kind of made the undersized defenseman that can dictate terms, um, you know, the, the route to go in terms of new defensemen coming up. So it's uh, it's, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to be around this guy uh, in a training setting because it's, uh, I learned as much from him as, as, as anything. So Pat, with the resurgence, would you accredit that more to the fact that he's more possession driving now? Is there something specific within his skill set you feel that he's tweaked that has also helped with his adjustments that's allowed him to get back to what we used to remember? I think I see just, you know, an assertiveness to, to, you know, that's a great way to put it. Possession driving. Um, You notice the puck is on his stick a little bit more obviously right now. And, and he's driving and he's, he's drawing people to spots and, you know, he's making plays that not a lot of guys can see and it's done from a dictation based standpoint. So I think he's just, I think he's feeling really good and he's moving really well. Um, but it, it's it's for sure a thing where he's moving the chess pieces a little bit more than maybe we'd seen in, in you know the few previous years, and that he's you know attacking the spaces and he's drawing guys out of spot. And, you know, obviously his ability to pass the puck is is extraordinary. And you know I've said this before. You know I've been blessed to to be around some of the best players in the world, and his fundamental skill set is just you can't give him a bad pass. You can put it two feet behind him and he's not breaking stride and finds a way to, um, you know, to carry it up the ice and make a great next play. Um, You know, that's what's special about, you know, when you think about players that have, you know, the public will get enamored by their skill. For me, it's his fundamentals. It's, you know, understanding when to carry a puck versus when to handle a puck and those sorts of things. And I think what we can agree on is, is he's certainly an exceptional puck carrier um, and maybe not, you know, people think puck handling and puck carrying. Well, those are two distinctly different things. And I don't know that there's many better than him at, at skillfully transporting a puck to a place, you know, and, and recognizing when to handle versus when to carry. Pat, when you're working with Eric Carlson in that respect, you you find yourself because he's so advanced in a lot of things that do you find that you are actually intentionally trying to push him to another level? Like, oh, you've solved this this quickly. Let's find like the most difficult situations. So you bear down and find, okay, what are the most difficult situations I can put him in and let's force him to push his processing to the highest level possible so that you're sort of building upon his processing that it becomes autotelic that he's used to now pushing the pace of his decision-making. And do you think that's really helped him this year as well as just challenging him to go to another level? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you guys know about me at this point. I, I'm all about, 
you know, creating game-like problems so that players can discover game-like solutions. So there won't be anything circusy ever out of the things that that I would do with a player. And so, you know, creating stressful situations, you know, you've got to retrieve and you've got to escape to this point you'll, or you'll do something in a small area setting where, you know, you, you stack the odds against them, you take away, you know, first and second best options in terms of outlets and things and let them solve that problem. And, um, you know, two quick shoulder checks and, and, you know, some deception and he's got people moved out of the way and he's, he's sort of reshuffling the deck and succeeding. So hundred percent, I mean, anything that, that I would try to do would certainly be, um, you know, creating a game scenario, but then, you know, within that scenario and that game-like problem, um, challenging him then to have to find alternative routes and measures in order to solve it. And um, when you get someone that I, I really believe is, is generational in his mindset or, or, or his ability to, to view the game, uh, you know, it's, it's just a pleasure to watch because you very rarely stump him. Well, we only have about a minute left in this segment. Just quick thoughts on his resurgent and, is there one thing that you've watched in his game this season or two things that you, that jump out to you that perhaps were not missing, just he hadn't, he was just sort of like part of his game hadn't quite got back to what it was prior to that based on like the working with him this summer. I just, I, I see him attacking again. I see him attacking space. I, t- I see him attacking, um, you know, the, the opposing team. I see him doing things, on his terms. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's why you're seeing a resurgence is he's, he's back to dictating outcomes um, and, you know, combination of feeling it combination of being in a really good place um, mentally and physically, when you combine those things, then you add world-class talent uh, ability to navigate ice. It's just, it's to me, it's all about, you know, the attack mindset that I'm seeing out of them. Um, which is is awesome to see, and and you know I think it's good for hockey. Well, certainly I'm really hoping to to see him, you know, continue this, push this through, and I think he's Norris Trophy consideration once again. Not surprising based on his production, and we'll see what happens at trade deadline. Trade deadline as well, Pat. Uh, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your insight of player development, and uh, have a great day. And look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's Pat Malloy, player development and skills coach. This has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. You can listen to our show on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to all our guests. I'm Shane Malloy, and for Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com, we will see you at the rink. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat. 
a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. 